Welcome to the Fast God Stuff Podcast, where we make biblical theology simple, practical, and fun so that we can love God and others more. I'm Conrad, and my favorite ice cream is coffee. And I'm Jesse, and my favorite ice cream is mint chocolate chip. Yummy. And you dig it. We're just two guys trying to follow Jesus, hanging out in the studio with our Bibles and guitars. We take just 30 minutes to chat about a theological topic and renew our minds with the good things of Christ. Stop, it's Fast God Stuff. So what's on the agenda for today, Conrad? I don't know. Jesse, what are we going over today? Today we're asking the question, Doesn't evil disprove God? Two, three, four. Doesn't evil disprove God? That's an interesting question. Doesn't evil disprove God? Disprove So why are we talking about this? So the existence of both God and evil is a question that humans have struggled with since forever. But the thing is, the problem of evil actually ends up not being a problem for the Christian, but rather for the atheist, because this question actually falls squarely underneath one of the historical philosophical proofs of God's existence, which is called the moral argument for God. So we're going to be introducing a lot of new philosophical concepts for many of you. So I would recommend listening to this episode a few times in order to fully grasp everything. So we're going to hear from Neil deGrasse Tyson, who articulates this question really, really well. Yeah, and Neil deGrasse Tyson is a famous astrophysicist who you'll see a lot on TV talking about science. Do you believe in God? Me? Uh, so, creator? Uh, yeah, so I'm, the, the more I look at the universe, um, just the less convinced I am that there is something benevolent going on. So if, you, if, if your concept of a creator is someone who's all-powerful and all-good, and I look at disasters that afflict Earth and life on Earth, volcanoes, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, disease. You look at this list of ways that life is made miserable on Earth by natural causes. And I just ask, how do you deal with that? So philosophers rose up and said, if there is a God, God is either not all-powerful or not all-good. So many people have put forward this view that there's just too much evil in the world for God to exist. And Neil deGrasse Tyson does a really good job of summing that up. Oh, yeah. He's very smart man. Mm-hmm. He's very intelligent. He's very accomplished. And he sounds very convincing oh, yeah. in this interview, doesn't he? Yeah, he's very persuasive. He really is. And he's putting forward a worldview. And so anytime somebody puts forward a worldview, we should ask ourselves, how do we know that that worldview is actually true? How can we determine its authenticity? Because expertise or intelligence in one subject does not automatically imply expertise or intelligence in all subjects. Exactly. And that's where I feel like a lot of people get, they get stuck. They're like, these guys are, these astrophysicists are way smarter than me. Right. Well, in one little area. In astrophysics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just because you're good at astrophysics doesn't make you a good philosopher or marriage counselor or psychologist. Right. But this is a philosophical question. And what you'll see is these amazing astrophysicists leaving their expertise and becoming terrible philosophers. So there's lots of things we need to get right first. We're going to put forward a worldview. Our starting point is really, really important because when we philosophize from an uncertain starting point, errors compound. Right. And the first thing we should ask when we're trying to evaluate a worldview is, is it even logically consistent first? Mm-hmm. We need to evaluate that by saying, what does it presuppose? So the first thing it presupposes is evil. Right. But not so fast. Who gets to define evil? And is this definition of evil binding to all of humanity? 
or does each individual get to define what is evil? So that's the very first question we have to ask. Is morality opinion or fact? Is morality subjective or is morality objective? Exactly. Because a lot of people think morality is subjective, that every individual or society can come up with their own morality, which will be good for them. And you'll hear a lot of people say, like, follow your heart, which means create your own standard of goodness. However, how then can they explain the evils of this world? And when you say there's too much evil in this world, aren't you admitting that there's good? Right. It's the only way you can know one from the other. And when you assume there's good, you assume there's such a thing as some kind of standard on the basis of which to differentiate between the good and evil. Right. Like a scoring system or a scorecard. So we can't even complain about evil at the same time without creating a category for good things. Mm -hmm. And to do so is basically to acknowledge that morality is factual. Right. So the more anyone argues with somebody else about what is right or wrong, morality or even politics, the more you are arguing that morality is objective, that there's this standard of moral facts, because you are arguing that your view lines up closer than their view to this objective moral standard. Right. So... Either you become self-righteous and whatever you believe is the moral standard and everyone else in the universe is wrong and you make yourself to be God, or this universal moral standard exists outside of us. But most people never ask, well, where did it come from? Right. That's a good point because we're basically saying there are certain unchanging moral values that are independent of humankind and they are discovered rather than constructed by us. Exactly. So for instance, you shouldn't punch babies in the face (laughs) or probably anywhere for that matter. Here's another one. How about you shouldn't eat your babies? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's also a strong moral fact. So basically we're saying that if you thought murder and racism were right, well, then you would actually be objectively wrong. And here's the big point. This means that morality exists apart from us and what we think. Exactly. So these rules and standards that we presume everyone should follow are essentially moral facts. Mm -hmm. Now, it's a fact, Conrad, that you have a dog named Dr. Rocket. And he's awesome. So for a fact, there are objects in the world that make them true. Now, moral facts aren't like that exactly. We can't see them, but we are bound by them. Right. The fact that we ought to do something about the problem of poverty or inequality isn't a fact about the way the world is. It's actually a fact about the way the world ought to be. Ought being the main word. And this is because moral facts aren't descriptive. They're prescriptive. They actually command us. We feel bound to do something that we ought to do. Right. Things that we should or shouldn't do. So the truth is that we can think about moral values as abstract concepts for hours. And they'll have like little impact on us. But all it takes is one second's worth of a bad decision to make a lifetime's worth of regret. Mm -hmm. And that shows us that there are moral facts. And when we go against them, we feel a sense of guilt or shame because they are real and they impact us. Right. And all you had to do to prove to anyone who doesn't believe in objective morality is punch them in the face or steal their phone. (laughs) Because they will say in objective terms, it is a fact that you are wrong for doing that, which of course is an objective moral statement. That's an experiment that you should try. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So here's the 15 second Fast God Stuff summary. The moral argument begins with the fact that all people recognize some moral code, that some things are right, some things are wrong. Every time we argue about right and wrong, we appeal to a higher law that we assume everyone is aware of, holds to, it is not free to arbitrarily change. So now that we've established that morality is actually a set of facts, how do we get those facts? Okay, so to have a crime, there must be a law to break. 
and to have a law to break, you have to have a lawmaker. So when we say there are moral obligations humans share and are bound to, the next logical question is, well, who wrote this objective moral law that binds all of humanity? So the obvious answer is God, but for those who don't believe in God, they are forced to come up with alternatives to the author of objective moral imperatives, such as don't eat your babies. So the first possible author of objective morality could be individuals. However, it can't be that because we all disagree on a thousand different goods and evils. Right. And on top of that, we're on the same level. So my morality can only be my opinion and preference, like my favorite ice cream flavor, because I can't bind you to my opinion on morality. Exactly. Okay, well, then maybe it's the majority that can write the objective moral law that binds all of humanity. But please, no one believes that. Like, if a political party got 51% of the vote, and everyone else would be like, oh, I guess their objective morality was right, and I was wrong this entire time. <laughs> right? It's, it's very unlikely that if 51% of the people said, yeah, we should definitely eat our children, that everybody <laughs> would suddenly say, oh, yeah, that seems right. <laughs> right. So... Well, then surely it's nature that can write this objective moral law and bind humanity to it. And this is probably the easiest to refute because according to evolution, evolution hasn't just produced nice altruistic people, but also terrorists, school shooters, child abusers, corrupt politicians, criminals, people who drive in the passing lane without passing. (laughs) And not only that, what else has evolution produced? Animals who have no shred of morality and also microorganisms that want to kill humans. So according to evolution, it's a survival competition between the nice people, the evil people, animals, the earth, asteroids, and the sun. Yeah, the question we should ask is, if nature is all about the survival of the fittest, Mm -hmm. then why should it even care about morality? Right. And nature doesn't care. Exactly. That's the thing. Nature could kill us or not kill us. It doesn't matter to it. And we're not obligated to it in any way to do anything. She don't care. So if humanity or nature can't write a moral law, what else can? Oh, I think I see where you're going. Yeah. So the the author of the moral law must transcend humanity if we're all obligated to obey it. Right, right, right. It also must be conscious to actually want us to do certain things and expect us to do certain things. Yes, yes. And also the designer of this universal moral law must be our designer as well, because for morality to hold any significance, morality must also be part of our design. Right on. So the creator created both us and the moral law for us to follow. And of course, the only possible answer for the creator of both of these things is God. Okay, let's say you wanted to, to design a smartphone. So you're a designer and you are you want to design the, fo- the smartphone to actually make calls. You don't want it to blow up in your face. So <laughs> if, it's, if it does what you want, what you designed it to do, you call that good. Right. When it doesn't do what you want, then that's called bad. And it's the same thing with morality with God and us. When, God, when we do what God designed us to do, then that is good. When we don't do what we, God designed us to do, then that's bad. So now we have to define, well, what did God want us to do? So in Christianity, God designed us with one purpose, which is really, really easy. And we sum, up, sum it up in the actual motto of our podcast. What's our motto? Love God. Love others. (laughs) That's it. That is actually our purpose. So God created us to love. That's actually what morality is. When we obey God to love God and others, that's called good. When we disobey that command to love God and love others, that's actually called sin or evil. In Matthew 22, 36, when Christ was asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Christ said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. 
you should love your neighbor as yourself. And listen to this. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. He's basically saying all of morality lies and hinges on the command to love God and love others. Everything. Everything. So let's recap this whole section. If you believe there is some list of universal evils like murder, rape, and hatred, well, it's because you believe the opposite that there are these list of goods like kindness, respect, and love that we're supposed to be doing and not the other things. Right. So if you put these two lists together, you have what is called the moral law. And this means two things. One, someone had to have written this universal moral law, but two, simultaneously created humans to be bound to the moral law as part of their purpose. So the only one that could have created humanity and the moral law and bind humanity to that moral law is God. Right. So how does this relate to the initial question, does evil disprove God? Well, evil doesn't disprove God. Evil proves God exists because evil is the disobedience of God. So for evil to exist, there must be a God to disobey. Right. So here's the 15 second fast God stuff summary. In Christianity, we believe God authored us with the purpose of loving God and others. When we obey God, we love, and that's what goodness is. When we disobey God, we commit acts of non-love, which is what evil is. Evil is a disobedience to God's command to love. So, don't be evil, but rather, love God, love others. That's it. So, part one of the podcast, we went over how everyone knows that there are universal goods and evils, which means that there is an objective moral law. And then in part two, we went over how this moral law must have an author that also created us to be bound to that law. So in part three, we'll go over, well, what does that moral law tell us about its author? So given the universality of the moral law, whoever gave the command must transcend culture, society, nationality, and geography. Mm -hmm. So if good is defined simply by whatever God commands, then morality is actually arbitrary because God could command us to kill everyone who disagrees with us. And we would have to consider that by definition to be good. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that way. Right. Well, if, if God says do it, then that's why it's good. Yeah. But if we just say God commands things because they are good, then there must be some standard outside of God by which he measures good and evil. Right. If God had to check with something above him to see what if he was doing was right or wrong, well, whoever wrote that moral law, well, that's going to be God. So what all this means is that God didn't give us a moral line and tell us not to cross it. It means that God is the moral line. God is the standard. God is goodness itself. So any deviation from that line, from God, will be evil. Any deviation from perfection, by definition, is imperfection. So God himself is the plumb line or the scorecard for morality. So why are things like justice, truth, loyalty universally upheld as virtues? It's because... They're a reflection of God's character. Exactly. God is a God who keeps his promises. He is faithful. He does not lie. He's a God of truth. He hates injustice. He's the God who cares for the weak, the destitute, the widow, and the fatherless. The God who is kind, the God who is love. Right. So the shape of his character is what actually defines these moral facts. Exactly. So when Christians make the claim that there's such a thing as a factual moral standard, what we're actually saying is that there is a God whose character provides the standard and whose commands flow entirely in keeping with that character. Right. So if God desires us to love, well, then what does that tell us about God's overarching desire? It must mean that God's own desire is to love 
if in turn he commands us to love. Right. And because God is the standard itself, God commands us to love because he is love. God is both the source and standard of love. Exactly. So this factual moral standard that we all appeal to when we are wronged shows that God, who has literally put together all of the components of our our body, mind, and emotions, has made us to purposefully live in harmony with and in submission to those moral facts. Right. God is the moral first cause, and he has made us to be moral. Right. And the and God is the first cause of love and has given us the ability to love and thereby has given us the command to love. And this is morality itself, to love or not to love. Exactly. And we should be moral because we are moral beings made by a moral God in his image. We find our proper purpose when we become what we originally intended to be. And that's why the Bible can make this clear claim in 1 John 4, 19, that we love because he first loved us. And a couple of verses prior says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. There it is. So what we're saying is that God isn't just the author of the moral law, but his character provides the very standard of the moral law. So for us, the moral law is about emulating God's character. So since God's character is love, morality is about us emulating his love, which means loving as God loves. And see the wonderful logical consistency of this. Mm -hmm. We know that morality exists. We know there must be an author. And we know that the author must be God. Because when we deviate from that chain in any kind of small way, what we do is go off course in such a way that we cannot prove either where morality comes from, that it exists, or that there is an actual standard, even though that is the world in which we live. Exactly. The existence of these objective moral values not only give us a compelling reason to believe in God, but they also point us to some of our most profound needs and draws us to God who deals with our guilt, offers us forgiveness, and ensures justice. Right. Here's the 15-second Fast God Stuff summary. When we complain about evil, we presuppose the reality of the good. Good and evil invoke a factual standard of right and wrong. Such a standard points us to God who made us purposefully, not just so we can recognize and apply morality to our lives in this life, but so that we can actually enter into an intimate relationship with God and process of discipleship in his kingdom that begins to prepare us for the most noblest existence possible, being in God's presence forever. That was like a one-minute fast cut stuff summary. So, Conrad. Yes, Jesse. We have concluded that morality is a fact, Mm -hmm. that morality demands an author. Yes. That that author is only and can only be God. Right. And so, let's circle back around and see how those three things that we've just learned, how do they stand up against the statement that evil disproves God? So, let's revisit his objection. It really came down to, if God is good, then there can be no evil. Evil exists, therefore there is no God. So immediately we see three major things wrong with this objection. He's assuming that everyone agrees with his definition of God is good, when, but he means God is nice. However, that's not what we mean. What we mean is that God is goodness itself. Right. He is the embodiment of goodness. He's the standard of goodness against which you can compare everything against. So God is perfect good. He is perfection. And here's the thing, we can step outside of this perfect good by performing any free choice action that doesn't line up with God's perfect character. 
That's actually what evil is. That is actually what sin is. Yes. Any degree of sin, whether it be 1% or 99% of stepping outside of perfection, is by definition imperfection. And by definition, perfection cannot mix with imperfection. So it is actually our own evil, our own sin, is the, that's the cause of our own suffering because we are removing ourselves from perfection. Think about it. If we lived in a perfect world, then there would be no suffering. Right. But our sin separates us from four types of perfection. We are separated from a perfect God, which causes our soul to suffer. We are separated from perfect people, which causes strife. We are separated from our perfect selves, which causes things like depression. And lastly, we are separated from a perfect nature, which are natural ways for us to suffer and die like hurricanes or disease or old age. Which leads us directly to the second major thing he gets wrong is when he concludes that nature wanting to kill us is an evil. Because he pulls out this word evil, but doesn't give us a basis for what constitutes an evil. So we went over this part before, so I'll sum it really quick. If you're going to use the word evil, you have to presuppose that there is a factual objective standard of goodness, which we can't get from nature, and we can only get from God, who is the very standard of goodness. So he has to steal the idea of evil and the standard of goodness from Christianity to make his case that there is even such a thing as evil. Right. So this brings us to the final thing that he gets wrong, and it's because he has to steal the idea of human value from Christianity to try to disprove it. So for him to claim that nature killing humans isn't evil, he must also assume that humans somehow have inherent value above nature. Because we don't see like a black hole killing a star as evil or a lion killing a zebra as evil because it's nature versus nature. Right. But for some reason, he thinks it's bad when an asteroid or a lion kills us because he assumes humans somehow have inherent value. And where does that value come from? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So we Christians believe that we get our value because we were made in the image of God and he made us to be loved and valued in a way that nature isn't. But according to atheism, none of that applies According to atheism, we are just a cosmic accident and we have no inherent value above nature because we ourselves are a product of this blind, uncaring nature. So without inherent human value that we get from a divine creator, our value can only be our opinion of ourselves. And opinions are just that opinion. Right. And the problem with value is like, oh, yeah, you can say I have a lot of value, but the next minute you might say you might be depressed and you might say I have no value. Or the person next to you says, well, you know what, Jesse, you have no value. I'm going to punch you in the face, (laughs) take all your stuff, because I have more value than you. So value is basically is completely arbitrary. And furthermore, why even give humans value? So he's he uses the example of like hurricanes or whatever. So let's say a, a million people die in a hurricane. Well, that it's bad to us. But not for everything else, like maybe the vultures and the rats who are going to eat all these bodies. For them, it's awesome. It's really good. There's this amazing buffet that they have. And also now we're not destroying the planet. So on a lot on on some other levels, that's going to be a good thing. Who are we to say what is good or bad according to the universe, according to nature? But somehow we all believe that we have inherent value. So in order for Neil deGrasse Tyson to say that it is an evil for people to die, he has to steal the idea of human worth and human dignity from Christianity in order to try to disprove Christianity. Right. So the irony here is the very fact that the problem of evil is raised either by people or about people indicates that human beings have intrinsic worth. Exactly. So it's really ironic because listen to this clip. I have no problems 
If as we probe the origins of things, we bump up into the bearded man, there's just no evidence of it. So what's interesting is that he unknowingly actually gives philosophical evidence for the existence of God using his own philosophical objection. Right. So what he's done is actually shown the power of one of the main historical philosophical proofs for God's existence. And this argument is called the moral argument. And the moral argument goes, it's just three simple logical steps. One, if God doesn't exist, objective moral values do not exist. Two, objective moral values do exist. And three, therefore, God exists. Or you could use our argument where we explain it a couple more steps to make it a little bit easier to follow. So we go, one, if evil exists, good exists. Two, if good exists, then there must be a moral law by which to differentiate good from evil. Three, if there is a moral law, then it must have a creator whose character provides the very standard of the moral law. Four, if humanity is bound to this moral law, then the creator of the moral law must also be the creator of humanity. And lastly, five, the only source for both morality and humanity can only be God. Right. So after all this philosophy, what's the bottom line, Conrad? Okay, so the question isn't if God is good, why is there evil? The question is if God himself is goodness itself, is righteous, then, well, then why doesn't a just God simply punish everyone for their evil? The answer is because God is also a God of love, who shows the extent of this love for us that while we were yet sinners, God the Son took the form of a human in order to be humiliated, tortured, and killed by the very children who disobeyed him, so that whosoever believes in him can have eternal life. And now's the time for educational songs with Conrad and Jesse, where Conrad and Jesse sing an educational song.
Well, that's all the philosophy we have time for today, Conrad. That's too bad. Make sure you subscribe and rate the Fast God Stuff podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you like to podcast because it's the moral law. Fast God Stuff is a proud member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. And please check out fastgodstuff.com for all kinds of content that will help you punch Jesse in the face. (laughs) Until next time, love God, (laughs) love others. That's That's it. it.